Well, I already miss you, uh, Providence family. Um, I want you to know that if you uh, feel uh, frail, or if you feel that the world is frail, there's a reason for that, and that is because it is. But the Bible tells us, God tells us that he is not, that he is strong for the task. In fact, we're told in Psalm 46, it says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. Therefore, be still and know that he is God. I know that with everything that is happening, um, it causes us a sense of uncertainty and fear, um, But God is who he is. The Lord is the Lord. And so I urge you to anchor yourself to him. And here this morning, I want to just remind you of the words of Jesus when he said to us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, love is visible and love is most visible when people are most frightened and most selfish. So I believe that this is the time for us to be able to shine so brightly as a church family and as believers around the entire world. God's word tells us, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand. And so as I have sought over the last year to remind you repeatedly to view your life situations with God as the backdrop with all of his power and all of his presence, his nearness, his strength, his love, his care, that we would look at everybody in front of us and all the various responsibilities and all the fears. And behind that, we would see the Mount Everest of God's glory. And in doing so, we would be reminded that he is strong, that he's a rock, that he's a refuge, that he's somebody that we can run to in times when we feel so anxious And he tells us that he will protect us forever. And when we feel safe, what happens is we're motivated then towards kindness. We're motivated not to hoard, but to share. We're motivated to care for one another, to call one another, and to pray for one another. So I would love, if we can, uh, even in your own homes, if you would, let's bow and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you, that you are our refuge that you are strong for this day and every day, that you are a very present help in time of trouble. And we confess to you that there's parts of the world right now that feel like that they've fallen into the sea. It feels like the earth has given way in many different arenas of life. I pray, Father, for those who are fearful, God, that you would be close to them. I pray that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. We thank you, Father, that we know that you are the Lord. And because you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth to live a life that we could not live and have not lived, to die a death that we deserved, and to rise from the dead in order to give hope and eternal life to all who would believe upon you, God, we know that you're strong for the task. And so I pray now that as we open your word, God, that you would use the amazing gospel of John and this portion, these few verses to remind us that you love us and that you care for us and that even in the midst of your deepest pain, 
that you cared enough to meet our need. And so we look to you in faith and ask that you would speak through weakness and through all of the distractions in our culture and maybe even right now in our family room. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you uh, would, uh, I would love for you in your homes uh, to have with you a Bible. And if you want to look with me at John chapter 19, uh, there we find uh, one of the four accounts of when Jesus was on the cross. And uh, we've mentioned this the last few weeks, but if we were to make a list of all of the significant needs within the human heart and condense them down to the core essentials, I believe that we would find seven amazing, significant, deep needs. And Jesus is aware of these needs. He's so aware that even when he was on the cross, he opened up his mouth seven times. And in doing so, he made provision for each one of these needs. And so over the last few weeks, we've looked at our need of forgiveness and our need of security. And this morning, um, we look at our need to belong. I realize that there's a sense of irony. The Bible would call that sovereignty. That a year ago, when planning the series, uh, I Felt the Lord was saying that this is what we should preach at this time, and this was the text that was selected, the need to belong. I realize that it feels ironic because nobody's in the room with me right now, and we're all in family rooms and separated from each other, and yet Jesus knows, and we know that we need one another. When God Almighty looked down upon man that he created, one of the very first things that he says that was not right with what he created, he says it is not right for the man to be alone. And those words, they echo off of our conscious and within our mind and in our heart. We know instinctively that it's not right to be alone. Our longing to belong is the reason that we favor family. We know that there's a sense of my people. And so we forgive and we forbear in special ways with our family because we want to belong. It's the reason that we pursue friendship. It's the reason that we as fans, when games are being played, uh, when we're a fan of a team and we have nothing to do with the outcome of the game and our team wins, what comes out of our mouth is we won as though we had something to do with it. We want to belong to something that's significant and something that is together. Now, this is why when you look at this picture of a child who's left out, something within us cries out. It says, this bothers us. This shouldn't be. We, we want to go over to the children who are all together and say, you need to make room for this one. We have a longing to belong. And here we are in a season of public isolation. And I want you to know that the longer this season remains, the deeper our need and our awareness of our need of belonging will grow. And Jesus knew. He knew that loneliness was dreadful to our soul, and he knew that isolation was dangerous to our walk with the Lord. And so on the cross, he met a need. John chapter 19 tells us early on in verse 17 that they took him up and they nailed him to a cross, his hands and his feet. They crucified him with two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And then it says that the Jews began contending with Pilate over the, over the sign that was above Jesus' head that says, King of the Jews. And then we're told that the soldiers, that they gathered off to the side and they began to cast lots and 
see who was going to win the very garments that once covered Jesus' body. And then we're told this in verse 25. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which happens to be the author, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So I want to show you just a few things here this morning that are bound up in those three verses. The first is that this is that Jesus sees the need of his people. He sees the need of his people. It's interesting that this passage, these verses that we just read, tells us that only two things take place, that Jesus was actually doing two things. And the very first one, he says that he saw. That's the verb. Jesus saw something. His eyes went to something. And see, what we're fine, though, within this passage is that anytime that there's an emotionally terrifying event, these moments, they awaken an impulse within us to huddle together. That's why we're during national uh, tragedies or house fires or at funerals, we, we tend to huddle up. You look at this picture of a father and a son. I don't know anything about it. And yet you can tell that there's tragedy. You can tell that there's heartache. There's, there's sorrow. But there's also a need in that moment to belong to one another, to hold one another. Well, the act of crucifixion was an emotionally terrifying moment. And that's why we're told, as you read through the accounts, that people were huddling together. The Jews were huddling together, and the soldiers were huddling together. And here, Jesus' followers, the few that remained at the foot of the cross, some women and John were huddled together. It's interesting that when we face insecurity and pain, It's only natural for us to look inward, to look at our own needs, to make sure that we have some preservation for ourselves. And when we do that, when we look internally, what happens is we don't look externally. We don't see the needs of other people. We, We care about our house being stocked, but we don't care about other houses being stocked with goods and services. But this is not what happens with Jesus. For there, when he is in the midst of the greatest of pains, Instead of looking internally at his own needs, he not only looked externally, but then he met a need. It says that he saw his mother. He saw his mother. I want you to think about that gaze of mother and son who love one another deeply, who, who care for one another, and they're, and they're looking at each other. I want you to think about Jesus looking at her face and looking at her tears and looking at her pain. Of course, all of this was promised. When Jesus was just eight days old, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple for him to be dedicated to the Lord. And when they arrived, a godly man named Simeon, without asking, takes Jesus into his arms, looks down and says these words to Mary. He says, this child is appointed for the, for the fall and rising of many 
in Israel. In other words, this child will be the line over where people will divide one way or the other. This child is so significant that the very culture itself will be divided into two camps. And then he looks at Mary directly and says, and the sword will pierce through your own soul. Not long after, Herod, he ordered an all the soldiers to go and to, and to kill every boy within the region who was under two years old in the hope of eliminating this baby Jesus. And there's no doubt that when Mary was feeling the grief of other people, she felt part of that sword. Years later, the Pharisees, they're arguing with Jesus and and they throw an insult at him in front of everyone. He says, listen, we were not the ones who were born of sexual immorality. Implying that Jesus was and that Mary had been this loose woman. There's no doubt that these false speculations of her impurity had to cut her heart. But nothing compared to this moment. How could anything compare to this moment? For here on the cross, Mary saw thorns in her son that she could not remove. She saw nails piercing his hands and feet that she could not pull. She looked up and saw lacerations and blood on his body that she could not mend. And it's interesting that the text says that John saw Jesus seeing Mary. This happens repeatedly in the Gospels. They were paying such close attention to Jesus that they would frequently look at him to simply see what he cared about, what he was looking at. They noticed him seeing people that other people didn't see. Blind beggars. Everybody would walk by the blind beggar because he was there every day. And yet it says that Jesus saw him. Matthew 9, there's a tax collector. Nobody wanted to look at him. And it says that Jesus saw him and then went and meet to meet his need. And here Jesus it says that John looks up at Jesus on the cross and he follows his eyesight down. And his eyes are looking at his mom. And then it says that Jesus shifts his focus a few degrees to where he's standing. And the Bible says that he looked at himself, that John saw Jesus look right back at him. Can you imagine those eyes? Eyes you would never forget. For just hours before, John, just like the rest of his disciples, fled Jesus in the garden but to his everlasting credit, returned. Fearful, he returned. Courageous, he returned. Anxious, he returned. And Jesus saw him. And I simply want you to know that he sees you. Psalm 33, verse 13 says, the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. He sees you. He sees your need and he cares about your need. The second thing I want you to see here is that Jesus meets the need of his people. He doesn't just see the need, he meets the need. For there on the cross, Jesus pushed past his own self-interest. He pushed past the impulse to preserve life. He pushes past 
even seeing the needs of people that he loves. And he pushed all the way to the place where he actually took energy from his own life and breath from his own lungs in order to meet a need for two people that he cared about. See, with no mention of Joseph within these texts, we assume that Joseph had already passed away. And so it was the job of the firstborn son in order to meet the need of caring for his mother. Now, Matthew 13 tells us that Jesus had four other brothers and many sisters. And so there's a lot of people who wonder why would he entrust his mother in this moment to to John instead of one of his siblings? To be honest, I don't know. But what we do know is this, is that they weren't there. And they weren't there because they didn't believe in Jesus. There's something deeper, though, that we'll look at in a moment that I believe that Jesus was actually creating a prescription for all of his people. And yet here in this moment, he looks and he looks at his mother and he says, behold, your son. And then he looks at his, at his own disciple and he says, behold, your, your mother. In other words, he says to his mom, you need a strong defender. And here is a strong defender. And he looks at John and he says, and you need a strong caregiver. And he looks at his mom and he says, and here is your strong caregiver. And from that moment, it says that John took her home to care for her. And I want you just to, just to extrapolate that moment to our moments. That if Jesus can provide for our needs during his absolute pain and humiliation, as he carried all of the sin of all of the people in the world, as well as all of the wrath of God upon that sin, upon his own shoulders, just imagine what he can provide in his present exaltation as he sits at the right hand of the Father. So he sees the needs of his people. He meets the needs of his people. And the last significant truth I want you to see here is this, is that Jesus meets the need of his people through his people. You see, on that cross, Jesus did several things. One thing he did was he paid for our sin. But the other thing he did was he created the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says to the elders, he says, look, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's almost as if Jesus went into the storeroom and he says, what does it cost to actually create a holy people on the earth who will be my bride called the church? There's a price tag on it. It says your blood. And Jesus said, let me pay it. That's what he did for us. He created a people. It's Jesus' bloodline that creates a brand new family. Ephesians chapter 2 calls it a household of God, that if you know Christ, that you've been brought into this household. And this household, this family has been built in order to care for one another until the mission is complete. You look through the New Testament and you find a variety of different instructions to the church to do to one another. In fact, there's a little image that I think should be on your um, that I think you can see right now. And it just shows some of the things that he says that we're supposed to be teaching one another and greeting one another and welcoming one another and caring for one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another. 
We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to comfort one another. We're supposed to even honor one another. And we're supposed to sing to one another as an expression of faith and encouragement to one another. You know, there was a day when a woman within the crowd yelled to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus yells back into the crowd to the woman, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Imagine then how eager Jesus is to care for us, his people, his followers from his throne, if he cared so kindly for his mother from the cross. You see, on the cross in this moment, Jesus was revealing and connecting Mary and John. He was revealing how he would care for the rest of us, and that is that he would place us within the church where we would care for one another. You remember the story of the rich young man who who simply couldn't part with all of his riches in order to follow Jesus. And so he walked away and Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we have, we've left everything in order to follow you. So what's in it for us? And Jesus responds, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Providence, where on earth can we belong to a family with a hundred brothers, a hundred sisters, a hundred mothers, a hundred fathers? It's the people of God. It's the church. And I want you to know, Providence, that my nearest family member, outside of the ones who, there's three of them that actually go to Providence, but outside of that family, it's eight and a half hours away. And over the last 22 years, in so many practical, tangible ways, you have been our family away from family. And this is his intention for every single one of us. There on the cross, he's connecting people to a new bloodline called his church to be together, to care for one another until the mission is complete. So let me finish with just a few applications for us here. The first is something that you hear from me frequently, and it's because there may be people who are listening right now who have never trusted Christ. And I want to encourage those of you who are considering the claims of Christ and even the unselfishness of Christ as you listen to this sermon in these verses where he's, where he's meeting a need for us to belong to one another. Would you trust Christ today and would you find life, eternal life, everlasting life, fullness of life? Jesus himself is calling you to trust him, every single one of us. And I want you to know that his voice is sufficient to follow. And yet it isn't the only voice, even within the text, that would be declaring to us the benefits of following him, the benefits that have been actually purchased for us on the cross. You see, Mary and John no doubt would say to us and to those of you who are considering Christ that the cross is the place of belonging. That at the cross, you find not only a savior, but a shepherd. You find a heavenly father that meets our needs and that adopts us and connects us to a family. I believe that his mother's sister, you notice that there's several women who are involved in the story. And it says that, that, his, his, that, um, that it was uh, at first Mary, and then he says, and his mother's sister. And it says, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then another Mary Magdalene. 
some translators, they look and they believe this may be either three women or four, that perhaps that Mary's sister is different than Mary, the wife of Clopas. I believe that's true. In fact, I believe that his sister, we're told over in Matthew chapter 27 that there was another woman there. Her name is Salome, who was the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee. And if this is the case, then certainly she would say to us that the cross is not only a place of belonging and salvation, but it's also a place of redirection. That when we're thinking the wrong way, when we're thinking about self-exaltation, that the cross tells us that actually we're exalted by humbling ourselves. You see, it was this woman shortly before Jesus went to the cross who went to Jesus and, and said, would you allow that my two sons sit at your right and at your left? And now here at the cross, she looks up and she sees a criminal on Jesus' right and another criminal on the left. And there I believe that she came to grips with the fact, something that every one of us needs to see, and that is that when we believe that we can save ourselves. We make attempts and even pleas with God to recognize our righteousness and to, and to honor us in that way. No, the cross tells us first we must humble ourselves. We must admit that we have a need. We have to admit that we believe in Jesus Christ. We confess him as Lord of our life. And the Bible says that he lifts us up. He redirects our life. So instead of honoring ourselves and our children, we live our entire life for the honor of Jesus Christ. There's another woman, Mary Magdalene, and I believe that this woman who was once plagued by seven demons would say to those of us in particular who are stuck in a habitual pattern of sin that's destructive to our life, who say that the cross is a place of deliverance, of freedom, a place where Jesus breaks the chains that hold us fast. And then I believe that there's one other group that would speak to us today, and that's his family his brothers and sisters who were not there. His brothers and sisters who through the course of his life and ministry did not believe in his claims that he was the son of God. And I believe that they would say to us in this moment that Jesus' cross proves his strength when we are weak. For after his resurrection, Jesus Christ, we're told, he appeared to more than 500 people, including his own family. We're told at the beginning of Acts, it says, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In other words, I believe in this moment right now that if Jesus' brothers and sisters who were not at the foot of the cross because their faith was too weak, they couldn't see the glory of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the, 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 just how consequential he was to life. Oh, they saw when he rose from the dead. And I believe they would call to us right now and to those of you who are considering the claims of Christ and they would say to you, even in your weakness, the cross is a place where he's strong even when you're weak. And so I urge you today, for those of you who have never trusted Christ, right there in your living room, wherever you're at, you can pray a prayer and you can receive Christ. You pray something like this, Father in heaven, I believe, I believe that I am a sinner, that I cannot save myself, that I have a need. I need to be delivered. And I believe in your son. 
I believe that he was strong when I'm weak. I believe that he died. I believe he was buried and I believe he rose from the dead and I confess him as Lord of my life and Lord of all. You see, if you pray that prayer, I want you to know that Jesus will save you. He has saved you. And so I urge you to continue to trust him. For those of us who have, let me encourage you to trust Christ and connect to his family. I don't know if you've ever considered just how amazing it is that the church still exists, but it does. And not only does it exist, it grows. Satan hates her. The world tolerates her. Christians mistreat her. Christians date her. They conclude they don't need her. And yet the church continues to grow. I realize that there's parts of the world and there's individual churches maybe that are in flux when they're getting smaller and sometimes they even shut down. But here's the amazing thing about the kingdom of God and his church. And that is that every single new believer is only added to the kingdom and never taken away. And so the kingdom of God and the family of God is only growing. It doesn't matter how people treat the church. Anytime someone trusts in Christ, the church grows. And if Jesus created the church and ordained that she meet the need of every one of us to belong to one another, then no Christian should live outside of the grip of this family. And so are you connected? Are you connected in a meaningful way to a church? And are you caring? Are you genuinely caring for the people of God? For those of you who call Providence your home, I want you to know that there are people, real people, older people, younger people, poorer people, people who look differently than you, sick people, tired people who need mothers and brothers and sons. How are you caring for them? And I realize that even during this season of forced isolation, it makes it complicated. But I would simply ask you this question. How can we as the church called Providence trust Christ enough that even in a season of forced isolation that we can care for one another at our points of need? Who can you call this week? Who who can you pray for this week? Who can you pray with this week? Who may need food that you have or other goods that you may have? Who needs your help? For by this, all people will know that we're his disciples, that we love one another. And maybe, just maybe, we can learn during this season how to better care for our missionaries around the world who are routinely distant from us and yet always a part of us. Now, I want you to know that if you're overseas right now watching this, we want you to know that we love you, we remember you, and we care for you. And the last thing I want to encourage us to do is to follow Christ by sharing his love and truth. I realize right now you need to be careful, and I would tell you, you need to be careful. It is serious what's happening in the world. But as Christians, we're following a Christ who has strength, and hope, and love. And so I want to encourage us as a church family to give love and to share good news. And I want to remind you of something that we've showed many, many times. And in this season, this this little pattern of how you can tell people the greatest news in the world 
it really just comes to life. And this is why we know that things are broken. We know the world is broken. We know our heart is broken. And so consider the amazing gospel. That you can go and you can talk to your neighbor. And they're already thinking in their mind, things are messed up. Things are broken. It's not supposed to be like this. And you can say, you know what? It is broken, but it wasn't always this way. The God in his amazing grace, his amazing grace had an amazing design for the world of being connected to him and with one another without sickness. But then the Bible tells us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've all brought upon ourselves condemnation. And when they ask the question, did all this happen because of human sin? It's a complicated, ath- uh, 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 well, it is complicated. But here's how I would encourage you to simply answer, right? Is that it wasn't individual people who were sinning that caused a virus, but the collective sinfulness of man, we're told in Romans chapter eight, has literally sat upon the earth in such a dramatic way that everything breaks. Everything breaks, including our bodies. But God in his amazing love, when he saw the brokenness in the world, he saw all of our vain attempts to actually fix things, to get back into his created design is that he acted when we couldn't. He sent his son, Jesus, who came to this earth and he lived in this broken place and he took on flesh and then he went to a cross and he died for our sin and our brokenness and he rose from the dead. You see, you tell people this good news and you tell them that this good news applies to their life in this specific way, that if they will admit that they are a sinner and if they will admit within their heart that they believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God allows us to recover and pursue a relationship with him where we get to actually experience some of the benefits of his original design. So Providence, I urge you to love well And let's share the good news that we have at a time when people need it the most. So I look forward to seeing you soon, I hope. I'm going to pray for us. And so if you would, would you bow? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace in our life and pray now that you would help us to take your word to heart, that you would help us to recognize our need of belonging. And even in a season where it makes it a little bit more complicated, that you would help us to be creative and intentional in caring for people in their point of need. I pray, Father, that you would protect us as a church family. I pray that you would keep us humble. I pray that you would keep us holy. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people that is marked by hope and faith and love. And so, God, as we sing to you, you're the King of Kings. We recognize you're the one and only. We give to you our very life and everything that we have. And so would you buoy our hope and our strength as we look to you now and as we sing. We pray all of this in the strong and perfect name of Jesus. Amen.